speeding bullets. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Yes, it's Superman. Strange visitor from another planet who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman, who can change the course of mighty rivers, bend steel in his bare hands, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 35 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and in this episode we are going to look at Episodes 13 and 14 of Season 2 of The Adventures of Superman. The machine that can plot crimes, which will introduce us to Uncle Oscar, played by Sterling Holloway, who we will see in two episodes this season. And then we're going to take a trip to South America, as the Daily Planet staff will look to rescue an expedition lost in the jungle. And Superman will have to fight off the jungle devil. But before we get to this week's episode, I have some feedback from Dave McElvenny to get to. Dave writes, Greetings, Mike. I think in your discussion of The Dog Who Knew Superman, you were so subtle and even-handed that I simply could not tell how you felt about this particular episode of The Adventures of Superman. Really, Dave? I hope you're being sarcastic here. I mean, I really didn't think I was subtle at all about my feelings regarding The Dog Who Knew Superman. But I'm in a good mood right now, so we're not going to go into that episode too much right here. Anyway, back to Dave. It was a bit more obvious that you really enjoyed The Face and the Voice, which is also one of my favorite episodes of the series. I remember when, as a boy, I first saw that episode, I didn't realize that Boulder was actually played by George Reeves. Of course, in those days, we had a small black-and-white TV, and I was a kid. I think the idea of having someone impersonate Superman by having plastic surgery and practicing his voice makes more sense than, as was sometimes done in the comics, having them don a Mission Impossible-style rubber mask. I thought it was interesting that the voice coach, Hamlet, spent time in San Quentin. He doesn't look like he would have lasted very long in that place. You didn't mention, so I don't know if you realize this, that the actor who played Tom, Clark Kent's doctor friend, was Hayden Work, who many years later would become more well-known for playing Dr. Bellows, the NASA psychiatrist on the TV series, I Dream of Genie. I just want to point out that no, Dave, I did not realize that. I have seen some episodes of I Dream of Genie growing up on Nick at Night, but I can't say that I watched enough episodes to recognize one of the actors in something else. Thank you for that little bit of trivia, Dave. It's always appreciated. Now back to Dave. Thanks, as always, for a fun podcast. I must say, I'm very much looking forward to your coverage of Panic in the Sky, one of my all-time favorite episodes. Live long and prosper, Dave McIlvaney. Yeah, see, Dave, I would actually say also that I'm looking forward to my coverage of Panic in the Sky. However, at this point as I record this on October 18th, my coverage of Panic in the Sky actually dropped today, which... Kind of goes to show how behind I am on recording episodes right now. I've already received Dave's feedback on the Panic in the Sky episode, so we'll get to that in a future show. Hopefully, when I have Bob Fisher on the show. I like reading emails from Dave that pertain to the shows we were both on when he's here. However, it won't be the next time, as Bob's next appearance, episode 37, has already been recorded. You know, as we say, timey-wimey. Peek behind the curtain. No, folks, this is not all done in order. So, I am going to take a quick break, play a promo, and then I'm going to come back with The Machine That Could Plot Crimes. Hang around, folks. Stop it, listen! Stop it, listen to me! Listen! Listen! Listen to me! They're not human! Everyone! They're here already! You're next! November 4th, 1988. Earth is invaded by an alien alliance composed of several species. 
including the Dominators, the Kuns, the Danegarians, and the Durlins. And they want our superheroes. Even though Australia has been decimated, the United Nations response is unequivocal. Drop dead. First Strike, the Invasion Podcast, takes you back to that moment in time and covers the entire Invasion DC Comics crossover. Issue by issue, tie-in by tie-in. Join Bass and Siskoid at fireandwaterpodcast.com or on iTunes. First Strike, the Invasion Podcast, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Remember, Melbourne. All right, welcome back, folks. We're going to head right into The Machine That Could Clock Crimes. Original broadcast date was December 7th, 1953. Writer was Jackson Gillis. Director was Tommy Carr. Guest cast include Sterling Holloway as Professor Uncle Oscar Quinn, Billy Nelson as Larry McCoy, Ben Weldon as Nosy, Stan Jarman as Pinky, Sherry Moreland as the bank teller, Russell Custer as the police officer, and Sam Bolter as the radio announcer. And now for our synopsis brought to you by supermanhomepage.com. Our story takes us to a boarding house in Metropolis. One tenant is gangster Larry McCoy. Another is an eccentric inventor, Professor Uncle Oscar Quinn. But where are these roses of yesteryear? Yes, where are the dandelions who ran so wild through the alleys of Metropolis? Or thought they did. The tough guys. The skunkweeds. The Larry McCoys. Larry McCoy? Why, the guy's talking about me. Remember him? McCoy was quite a big shot in his day, but he slid downhill. Oh, so fast. They all do. Crime never pays for long in any city. But here in Metropolis, it really shortchanges the best of them. Or the worst. And we can thank Superman for that. Yes, here in Metropolis, crime is paying less and less. Larry McCoy and the others like him have gone on their last toboggan ride. They've run away for good. They're done for. And that's just one of the reasons why Metropolis Better Bank Bonds are a better investment for your money and... That's what you think, buddy. I'll be back up on top. Don't kid yourself. Hey, shut up, will ya? McCoy is irritated by news reports that he is not the criminal he used to be. In addition to that, noise from Uncle Oscar's room upstairs is preventing him from going to sleep. He goes to confront the inventor when he's introduced to a machine dubbed Mr. Kelso. Well, isn't this a pleasure? Look, all them sounds. I'm a nervous type. They keep me awake. Hey, what is this thing? Mr. Kelso. Huh? Mr. Who? Mr. Kelso is a machine. Hey, what are you trying to give me? A machine with a name like a man? Look, wait. I know sometimes I'm eccentric looking and I say foolish things and all like that, but I can't help being proud. There's no machine in the entire world. Like Mr. Kelso. All right, I'll bite. What kind of a machine is it? Oh, what kind of a machine isn't it? (laughs) Mr. Kelso can do anything. Anything. I've given my whole life to make him work, to keep him running. I said, what's he do? He thinks. Just a minute. He's been working out a mathematical problem that would take an ordinary human being years to solve. And Mr. Kelso has solved the entire problem in 32 seconds. 
including comment on the problem. Oh, Mr. Kelso can be very sarcastic. <laughs> oh, one of those mechanical brains, huh? Like they use for elections and things. No, no, no. Mr. Kelso is much more complicated than that. He can do several problems at the same time. Sure, but this particular problem that he's working on now involves safe combinations, you see. And we have a stack of data practically this high with, with night watchmen and time locks. And... Look, Benna. suppose you hang a blanket on that thing, huh? And put... Let's come again with that. Mr. Kelso here is thinking about what? Well, you see, one of the boarders here who lives in the place also works as a night watchman you at the bank. said something about time clocks and watchmen? Yes, you see, and he's trying to prove to the manager that he can't possibly be in all these given points... You also same... said something about safe combinations. Oh, safe combinations. They're a cinch for Mr. Kelso. Aren't they, Mr. Kelso? All you have to do is to give him the size of the lock, the number of falls, practically 10 seconds to work it out, and you've got your safe combination. <laughs> Too bad we're not criminals, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> That's very funny. <laughs> oh, very funny. Say, maybe you have a, a problem you'd like Mr. Kelso to work out for you, have you? Well, yes. Uh, well, let's suppose I'm in this bank Mr. Kelso mentioned. Oh, yes. I know, the one we have the combinations for. Yeah. Go ahead. There's two cops on duty, but the closest is 50 feet from a call box. 50 feet, go ahead. Uh, of course, I'm just supposing. <laughs> of course. <laughs> But the burglar alarm rings when only one cop can hear it. And the nearest prowl car is three and a half blocks away at the time. Oh, oh, you're making it too easy. Mr. Kelso has the answer already. What a strange way of putting it. Huh? How to rob the Metropolis Bank North entrance. When single alarm goes off and patrol car is only three and one half blocks away. Hey, <laughs> the machine took it seriously. How about that? <laughs> That's all right, Mr. Kelso. No offense. Imagine taking it seriously. <laughs> well, it's a pleasure to meet you, Mr. Kelso. Yes, a real pleasure. Banks throughout Metropolis are being robbed in broad daylight thanks to information McCoy has been getting from Mr. Kelso. McCoy and his henchman Nosy have been giving credit for the crimes to Mr. Kelso. Inspector Henderson and the police are baffled by how the heist can be pulled off so well. Daylight bank robbery. Police completely baffled. Here, look at this one. Metropolis, first national bank robbed in broad daylight. A perfect crime, a daring success. The front page of the Daily Planet. I wrote it. Any objection, Inspector? Well, no, I guess that one's all right. Well, what did you want to see us for, Inspector? So you didn't like the way some of the papers covered the story. What can we do about it? A bank is robbed in broad daylight and everybody gets excited. Headlines, pictures, a story of a crime wave. But Inspector Henderson, there hasn't been a bank robbery in Metropolis for more than a year. And there won't be for another year either. This is not a crime wave. Why, that wasn't even a professional job. Oh, no, wait just a minute. I mean it. Here, look at this report. The bank guard just happened to be making out his report. The patrolman on the beat just happened to be phoning into his sergeant. And the traffic signal just happened to be right for the getaway car. You're trying to tell me that this was just luck, a series of coincidences that made this thing work? Exactly. Some rank amateur just had a full streak of luck. Now look, Inspector. Each one of these things happened at a regular time, didn't it? Yeah. All right. Now suppose someone's smart enough to reduce the movements of the police and the burglar alarms and so on to a formula. That wouldn't just be luck, now would it? And how big a brain would that take? 
Oh, I see what you mean. Well, maybe you're right. Of course I'm right. I doubt if even Superman could figure that many time factors. Yeah. Yeah, this is Henderson. What? Where? What happened? The second national bank. The thieves have fooled even Superman when a bag thought to have stolen money actually contained shirts. Nosey is getting worried after his recent encounter with Superman. McCoy had switched satchels without letting him know. <laughs> shades, yeah, I know, shades. Like they just came from the laundry. Quit that laughing, will you? <laughs> Cut it out! Ah, oh, relax, Nosey. That's part of another perfect plan, that's all. In case you were caught, you'd have nothing but shades. Well, you might have warned me. I had the real satchel all the time. I got it across the 10th Street Bridge just before the toll gate closed. I tell you, so far, every one of these plans have been perfect. The answer that machine gives us, it's colossal. Well, tell it to Mr. Kelso. Tell it Uncle Oscar there. I'm quitting, while the quitting's good. Quitting? Quitting what? So long, Uncle Oscar. You'll wise up yourself someday. But, gentlemen, gentlemen, what goes on around here anyway? You know those figures that we compiled for the Metropolis Savings and Loan Association, the ones you said were on their insurance? Well, right here in the paper, it says that that company has been robbed. Right oh, here. Ah, knock it off. Nosey, listen to me. You're just as scared of Superman, ain't you? Boss, I've warned you before. When Superman starts getting into the act, then count me out. It's time to quit. Come here. I want to show you something. Look, I ain't gonna argue about Superman. I know how tough he can get. Of course he can. But then what have we done that Superman should want to stop us? That was friendly. Now who's gonna run the machine for you? Don't worry, I can run it. Here, see? Yeah. We're gonna get along all right, Mr. Kelso and me. We're buddies now. Ain't me, Mr. Kelso. Boss, you're getting just like he is. Talking as if this Kelso was human instead of just nuts and bolts. Don't say things like that in front of him. Huh? Well, forget it. Never mind. Just read that answer tape. Yeah, all evening I've been feeding him questions. He hasn't given us a wrong answer yet, has he? Mm -hmm. And everything he figured for us, he's figured perfect, hasn't he? You ask him about Superman? Yeah. Read the answer. See what he says. Superman can be stopped. Superman can be fixed. Superman will not interfere again. Suggest you feed me more factors. There, that's it. I gave him everything that's known about Superman. His X-ray vision, his super hearing, the name of his friends, all that kind of stuff. Instructions for stopping Superman. Send following message to Superman in care of Daily Planet. This is it, Nosey. We follow Mr. Kelso's instructions, and Superman won't dare interfere with our next bank job. McCoy, Nosey, and a new henchman named Pinky are about to make a getaway with more money when a truck blocks their path. This gives Superman a chance to catch up with them. However, the Man of Tomorrow is doing something unusual. He's moving the truck out of the way. With police pursuing them, McCoy's gang escapes, leaving everyone throughout Metropolis to wonder if Superman has become a villain. 
As reporters Lois Lane and Jimmy Olsen ponder Superman's strange behavior, Clark Kent knows the true reason for it. No, it's not true, Miss Lane. I just can't believe it. Jimmy, I talked to the policeman who saw it. They were shooting at the police, weren't they? Maybe Superman was trying to keep anybody from being hurt. I thought of that. It's not good enough. Where's Mr. Kent? I don't know. He was in his office earlier. No, never mind. I'll go see. Where did you come from? Oh, I uh, just got in, Lois. Golly, Mr. Kent, have you heard that crazy story about Superman? Yes, I know all about it, Jimmy. Oh, you do? Then what's the explanation? Uh, Lois, I was just on my way out. I have nothing to say now. Not so fast, Mr. Kent. How come you know so much about Superman? Look, Lois, I'm on the trail of something pretty important. I have to keep an eye on it until I find out the answers. So, please? All right, run along. Dig up your own private little headlines. Thank you. Holy cow. It seems to me what's happening to Superman is a lot more important. Jimmy, no wonder. What? Ooh, that Clark Kent. Stealing message is meant for Superman. What's it say? I might have guessed. The one thing they could tell him that might worry him. Let me see. Sorry, Jim. Clark Kent isn't going to have this story all to himself. Oh, Miss Lane, please. All right. Someone wrote the Daily Planet they know Superman's identity, and they're threatening to tell the whole world. Now, Clark is investigating if what was written in the note is true. Lois, having also seen the paper, is following Clark thinking he has discovered a new scoop for the planet. Clark has just found the armored truck used in the last heist, but he and Lois are now prisoners of McCoy's gang. Look, we got two of them. How about that, boss? It's all right. We'll be leaving. Clark, what's the matter with you? Yeah, stand still. I know all about you, and I don't want any trouble. You know all about me? That's right. Your name is Clark Kent, and you're one of those nuisance reporters. I'm what? <laughs> What's so funny? He ain't gonna be a nuisance anymore. Either one of you. Go on, move. Relieved, Kent assures Lois that Superman will rescue them when the time is right. Clark, what's gonna happen to us? Don't worry, Lois. Superman will get us out of this just as soon as he can. But he can't. These people know his identity. It said so in the message. They'll expose him if he interferes. It was only a bluff, Lois. But that's why Superman had to wait to find out whether or not it really was a bluff. Meanwhile, no one's been hurt. While in the back of the armored truck with Larry McCoy. You know, those bank holdups of yours were so slick that for a while, Superman thought you were smart enough to know who he really was. Don't yak at me, buddy. I like it quiet. Oh, I see. You're not interested, huh? Not anymore. It's all over. See that pile of dough? Mm -hmm. Every penny we've taken. What makes you think that you'll get out of town with that, much less out of the country? This. You ever see anything like it before? The time of every stoplight. Fact is, they'd show when each road is vacant, when each cop is headed the wrong way. So that's it. This Mr. Kelsey you've been talking about is just a machine. How did you know? That's the one thing I didn't know. But I should have, it's obvious. No human being could think up such a complicated schedule. Say, suppose they turn that against you and use it to capture you. <laughs> Buddy, you're almost as smart as I am. What do you mean? Well, you and the dame are dead anyway, so who cares? Because I got my own schedule, buddy, that's what I mean. Larry McCoy wasn't born yesterday. Sure, I hated those machines a guy plays around with and then it turns around and catches him. Well, I got all the dough I need. So one minute, there ain't gonna be no more, Mr. Kelso. What? You hide me, and no Uncle Oscar to squawk either. I got a guy named Pinky that's taking care of him down at the house. The same way you're gonna be taken care of. Hey, look. Huh? In the cab there. Where? See, look. <laughs> While Lois is in the front with Nosy, Clark knocks out McCoy and flies to rescue Uncle Oscar as Superman. 
leaving behind a gaping hole in the vehicle's wall. However, there isn't much time to save Uncle Oscar. Very soon, Pinky will eliminate him and destroy Mr. Kelso. Pinky has placed a bomb on Mr. Kelso and is about to shoot Uncle Oscar. He didn't count on the arrival of Superman. The Man of Steel crushes the fuse with his foot as Pinky fires his gun. The thug falls over shortly afterwards. Superman! You're Uncle Oscar, aren't you? Yes. Here, take this and watch him. I've got to get back to the truck. Yeah, but wait, wait, wait. There's no need to. You don't understand. Yes. Miss Lane is still there. No, no, no. But they'll be captured soon. What? Oh, you see, I can understand those crooks fooling me, but I, I don't understand how they managed to keep fooling Mr. Kelso. Oh, look. Look, please, he'll think of something. Uh, you must forgive me, Uncle, if I don't believe such things. But... Superman doesn't believe in such things until he sees something that makes him smile. A policeman is writing a ticket for Nosy because he drove in the wrong direction on a one-way street. Now, Lois Lane and Clark Kent are now in Uncle Oscar's room at the boarding house. Well, he's quite a machine, that's all I can say. Mr. Kent, didn't I tell you Mr. Kelso would do something? Didn't I tell you? Clark, do you suppose I could ask Mr. Kelso how you got out of the back of that truck? But Lois, I've told you again and again. Superman smashed a hole in that truck and I went through it, and that's the absolute truth. Look, Uncle Oscar, if I tell Mr. Kelso all I know about Superman, do you suppose he could actually figure who he is? Oh, I don't know about that. Superman might not like it. Besides, he might turn out to be someone very dull, like... Uh... Oh, never mind. Don't you strain yourself thinking of something dull. Mr. Kelso, who is Superman? Mr. Kelso says, quote, wouldn't you like to know, unquote. All right. If you listen closely to Uncle Oscar's voice, Many of you will recognize him as the voice of Winnie the Pooh. It was a role that Sterling Holloway played over the course of 11 years from 1966 until 1977. Now, as far as this episode goes, you know, this was an okay episode. It wasn't a bad episode by any stretch of the imagination, but it's not one of the great ones either. If I just had a hankering to watch The Adventures of Superman, this is probably not the episode that I would put in. But, you know, if I'm watching the season, I'm not going to skip this one either. Actually, I don't think there are any episodes in this series that I would actually skip. I'm kind of a completionist that way. Anyway, this episode starts off with a guy in bed listening to the radio, or on his bed, rather. And we've seen this actor, Billy Nelson, before. He's playing Larry McCoy, and he was Louie uh, back in another of my favorite episodes, The Dog Who Knew Superman. Remember the one that I, uh, that Dave couldn't tell whether I was, what that I really didn't like it? You know. Maybe I'll skip Dog Who Knew Superman if, I, if I'm watching this, this straight through. I don't know. I might sit through it. Anyway, we also saw this newscaster before. He did some radio work in the in the face and the voice. Now, as he listened to the radio and getting annoyed after he hears his name spoken not very flatteringly of, McCoy will hear some ticking coming from upstairs. And this is when we get our first look at Uncle Oscar, as played by Sterling Holloway. Looks quite tall and quite thin, not like the short and stout Pooh Bear that we're all used to from the Disney cartoons. But when uh, McCoy comes up, uh, Uncle Oscar is very proud of his computer, Mr. Kelso. And apparently Mr. Kelso has personality because when he's asked questions, he gives snarky answers. Those of you who are married probably know all about that. So Uncle Oscar basically is very trusting, and he gives away all of the information necessary 
that basically McCoy can get any question that he wants answered. And you know what? McCoy is still kind of feeling kind of chapped by the news report that he heard when he was down in his room. So he's going to take advantage of this machine and he's going to use it to commit some crimes. Hence the title, The Machine That Could Plot plot Crimes. Uncle Oscar tells McCoy all he needs to know to know that this machine is going to help him in some way. And Louis starts asking about bank jobs and things like that. Apparently, uh, another resident of the building they all live in is a night watchman, and he's asking questions about safe combinations and police rotations and security and things like that. This is what really gives McCoy the idea that he can use this machine to commit bank robberies. The machine will give him his answer. It spits out the information on a little ticker tape that outlines the job and everything uh, McCoy and his men will need to pull off the job. Obviously, McCoy is not going to do this alone. He's going to work with his henchman, Nosy, who is played by Ben Weldon. Ben Weldon is making his, I believe, third of many appearances in this series. Like Billy Nelson, he was most recently in The Dog Who Knew Superman, where he was playing the the boss. So this is a neat little reversal with the two actors. Last time they were together, Weldon was the boss, and Nelson was the, shall we say, stupid henchman. In this case, Nelson is the boss, and Weldon is just a henchman. He's not a very... He's not a dumb henchman by any stretch of the imagination, but he's not the boss. So, Nosy is going to go pull a gun here on the bank teller, and she lets out a pretty impressive scream. It's not a Phyllis Scott scream by any stretch of the imagination, but it's better than any scream that Noel Neal's put out so far. That's really one area that Noel Neal cannot touch Phyllis Coates in. Nosy will get away clean thanks to Mr. Kelso. And when we go back to Inspector Henderson's office, he is not a happy man because... These crimes have been... So far, we've only seen one bank robbery. And Henderson is quite upset about the fact that the papers are telling the story about a broad daylight bank robbery in Metropolis. And apparently, this is the first bank robbery in Metropolis in about a year. Or over a year, as Lois says. And Henderson is really upset, and he is taking this rather personally, stating that he is going to make sure there's not a bank robbery for another year. I wonder if the fact that there hasn't been a bank robbery in about a year has more to do with Superman than it does the police department, but we're not going to get an answer to that question. So, Henderson is is upset about the newspaper stories, and he can't really be upset about the content because it's true. He even admits it to Lois that nothing was really wrong with her story. He's just not happy that it happened. And he's not happy with the papers asserting that the robberies are professional, which, honestly, I don't know. If I were in Henderson's position, I would rather be made look foolish by a professional than some guy who just got lucky. And Henderson is going a long way to attribute everything that happened here to luck. But, you know, I'm thinking as I'm watching him go through this, and I can tell from George Reeves' performance that Clark is thinking the same thing, that there's too much going on here for it just to be luck. In order to figure this out, any one living person could not figure all these variables out. Toward the end of this scene, Henderson gets a call about the next bank being robbed, this time the second national bank. So, we're seeing that... McCoy and Nosy are doing very well by using Mr. Kelso to plot their crimes. Now we get a shot of McCoy having Uncle Oscar put some more information into the machine. Despite his obvious scientific genius, Uncle Oscar is not very street smart, as he's not really figuring out that McCoy is using Mr. Kelso for criminal means. But eventually he has to figure this out because... The name Kelso is hitting the papers, as as even the Daily Planet has described the robbery as a Kelso robbery. So, 
you have to think that eventually Uncle Oscar is going to put the two together. Clark is in his office and he hears an alarm now. And he looks out the window and decides it's time to change into Superman. And he's not wearing his hat right here. And, well, he's going to go from having no hat into his office into having his hat when he goes toward the storeroom. Off goes Superman to foil the bank robbery. Or at least he's going to try. Because apparently Mr. Kelso has factored in Superman as well. As the money bag was full of shirts. And that's an, I found that to be a nice fate. A little entertaining, leaving Superman frustrated and McCoy very pleased with himself. And I love the look on Nosy's face here, as even he thought the statue was full of money. He's not above making that point to, to Larry McCoy when he gets back to uh, Uncle Oscar's place. He's not pleased and he wants to quit. And this is when Uncle Oscar has a hit of revelation. He's finally realized what's going on. He has the newspaper... And he's starting to ask questions, even though he may not have necessarily put all the pieces together yet. Nosy wants nothing to do with going up with Superman, and I can't say that I blame him. Why would you want to go up against Superman if you didn't have to? But Uncle Oscar is still clueless, despite the fact that I thought he was figuring it out. He's still clueless, and McCoy decks him before he can get a clue. It was becoming clear that he was starting to know something, but didn't quite put the scope of it together. McCoy here reminds me a lot of Krennic from The Mind Machine. Apparently, he can operate the machine just because he watched Uncle Oscar do it. If you remember back, Krennic, who was played by Dan Seymour, basically said he was able to figure out how to use the machine by watching the scientists do it. So now, McCoy and his crew have another problem. They are trying to... Not only do they need to rob their banks and prove what great criminals they are, they also have to find a way to keep Superman out of their plants. Apparently, Mr. Kelso has found a way to keep Superman from preventing further robberies, and he's going to start by having them send a message to the Daily Planet. At the moment, we don't know what the message is, but... Well, we know from the synopsis, but if you're watching the episode for the first time, you don't notice what, you don't know what it is. But we've already watched the episode, so we know that they're going to make a feint that they know who Superman truly is, even though they actually don't. And I will say, these are some very long scenes involving people kind of working in and around Mr. Kelso. But at least the... Sound effects from the machine, the tickety tocks and the clacking sounds are keeping the sound at least interesting to listen to, even if the scenes themselves aren't visually striking. So here is McCoy playing it cool, waiting for his men to arrive, and, and they're off, running under an underpass, changing cars, and basically doing everything Mr. Kelso says to stay a step ahead of the cops and Superman. At first, it doesn't look as though Mr. Kelso took into account the cops and the truck and Superman showing up, but... Apparently he did, as Superman shows up, and in a surprising twist, like I said, if you're watching the episode for the first time at this point, you don't know why Superman is moving the truck and letting the criminals get away. And then right after that, Superman just kind of runs off from the cops, so that's an interesting turn into events. And so it kind of makes you wonder what exactly Mr. Kelso took into account. Did he take into account the truck? And if he did foresee the truck, did he also take into account that Superman would show up to move it out of the way for the criminals to escape. This machine is kind of closing in on Clairvoyant a little bit, and I wish I had a machine like this. I could use it. So now we're back at the planet. You know, Jimmy is doing what he always does. He is the one who believes in the best in everybody, and nobody believes in Superman more than Jimmy does, so he doesn't want to believe that Superman has turned to crime, and Lois is along with him, and she can't figure it out either, and Clark is in his office tightening his tie. That's our cue to the viewer that he just returned from being Superman. And as Lois and Jimmy come in, Clark is trying to be a little slick here, and he just kind of sticks the note 
under something, maybe a blotter calendar on his desk, hoping that Lois and Jimmy won't see it. And as usual, Lois has demanded to know why Clark knows so much about Superman. I mean, we've seen it already. One of our big missions in Season 2 is to determine that Clark is Superman, so that continues here as well. So, Clark leaves to follow up on his lead, and Lois finds the note and reveals to Jimmy that the criminals are saying they know who Superman is, and they're threatening to tell the whole world the truth unless Superman does what they say. I guess one of the easiest ways to control Superman in the 1950s is to figure out his identity. More modern interpretations of the character, most notably John Byrne's version, and even this scene was even played out on Lois and Clark in the episode Green Green Glow of Home, where if it was going to stop the criminal or save his friends, Clark was more than willing to give up his secret identity for the good of others. Not really so much here in the 1950s. So, I guess Clark didn't hide that note as well as he thought. So now we have Clark walking down the street here with Lois following. Interesting that even though Jimmy was in Clark's office, there's no real sign of Jimmy here. So, I guess for some reason he decided to stay home. Or back at the planet, rather. So, Nosy grabs Lois and, you know, I'm kind of wondering if Mr. Kelso predicted this too. And this sets up an interesting scene where McCoy says he knows who Clark is and Clark gets awful worried. And then McCoy, you know, obviously he's thinking that McCoy knows he's Superman. I mean, he has no reason to believe anything else. And Clark laughs almost hysterically when McCoy refers to him as a nuisance reporter. I guess the relief of finding out that McCoy didn't actually know that he was Superman was enough to uh, send Clark into a laughing fit and confusing Lois. Just a real fun scene right there. But he still has to protect his secret identity, so both Clark and Lois are, ca are caught and tied up. So Clark fills Lois in when Nosy and McCoy walk away that the knowledge of Superman's identity was just a bluff, and that Superman had to make sure it was a bluff, and obviously he was making sure it was a bluff by trying to find McCoy as Clark and not as Superman. So now they're going to get trucked off, and they put Lois in the front and Clark in the back, which is very which comes in very handy when McCoy tells Clark everything he knows about how they're committing the crimes. And this is the point where Clark realizes that Mr. Kelso was a machine. Before that, they were just working under the assumption that Mr. Kelso was just a very smart mathematician, like scientist, I guess. This is when Clark realizes that McCoy is going to kill him, Lois, and not only him and Lois, but Uncle Oscar as well. So, so Clark and McCoy fight, and McCoy is really no match for Clark because he's really Superman. Although it is a nice touch, though, that Clark closes the hatch so Lois can't see what's going on as he takes out McCoy. Before changing into Superman, take a quick look at Clark's hair. He kind of runs his hand through it. I don't see any real change in his hair, but he is running his hand through his hair before turning to Superman. Take that for whatever it's worth. So Superman escapes from the truck by making a nice size hole in the, in the side of it there. It's amazing that Nosy didn't drive off the road when Superman collided with the truck, but, you know, they didn't notice. And we go right back to Uncle Oscar's place as Pinky. What a hell of a name for a gangster. He's setting up some dynamite onto Mr. Kelso. So Superman comes in, breaks through the wall in an awesome fashion like he always does. And Uncle Oscar even helps out by making a, sticking his feet out and making a nice trick that takes out Pinky. So Uncle Oscar puts on his air that he wasn't very worried about anything going on because he had put his faith in Mr. Kelso. But Superman is not about to put his faith in an unproven machine. He even says that as much to Uncle Oscar, that he doesn't believe in such things. And he is worried about getting back to the truck before anything happens to Lois. But Mr. Kelso is going to reward Uncle Oscar's faith because I guess the directions that 
he sent Nosey down, down, put him the wrong way in a one-way street. So, hilariously, the crime is solved not by anything that Superman has done, but by the fact that this cop had just happened to be around to give Nosey a ticket for going the wrong way down a one-way street. And it's amazing that, Rose, that Nosey didn't notice that he was going down a one-way street. You would think he would. The machine caught the bad guys with little help from Superman. Lois has one burning question she wants to ask Mr. Kelso. And do you want to guess what it is? If you guess that she wants to know who Superman is, you, my friend, dear listener, would be right. <laughs> but I love Uncle Oscar's reasoning for not really wanting to put that question to Mr. Kelso, but because Superman wouldn't like it. I mean, that's as good a reason as any, and Clark tries to dissuade her from answering the question, because he plays on a fear that she might come up with something dull. And he tries to think of an example, and Lois just doesn't want him to strain himself thinking of something dull. It's just a great little exchange, and it shows what Lois thinks of Clark. She thinks he's pretty dull. So that is part of what makes the secret identity work so well. I mean, not only does the glasses change his face somewhat, but he's also a pretty dull guy, Clark Kent is. There was nothing dull about Superman. So They leave. Lois doesn't ask her question, yet Uncle Oscar does. And I love the answer he gets from this smart-ass machine. Wouldn't you like to know? And I just love the look on Sterling Holloway's face. Kind of a shrug, a grimace a little bit. Just priceless. Sterling Holloway is a great character actor. and He's really good playing these scientists. So, that's that for this episode. It was, like I said, an okay episode. Not a great one. Sterling Holloway does a great job playing a befuddled scientist. And he'll play Uncle Oscar one more time in The Whistling Bird. And then he'll return to help us kick off the color episode, and he'll star as Professor Twiddle. I'm not sure why the producers changed his name for that episode, but they did. I'm guessing the role was written as Professor Twiddle before Holloway was cast to play it. And nobody either knew or cared that he had been Uncle Oscar before. But, so, that's pretty much that. For now, I'm going to take a quick break. I'm going to play a promo. And then I'm going to come back with Jungle Devil. Hang around, folks. You like cheap comic books, right? Well, I'm Professor Allen, and I talk about cheap comic books on the Quarterbin Podcast. In every episode, I'll dissect a single comic from my collection, as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for the issue. Forget about $4 new comics that you can read in four minutes, or crossover events that can cost 100 bucks to collect. Join me in the Quarterbin where even bad comics are a bargain, and good ones are a steal. The Quarterbin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network. Visit us at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search Relatively Geeky or Quarterbin Podcast in iTunes. I guarantee it'll be worth every penny. Alright, welcome back folks. I'm going to head right into Jungle Devil. Original broadcast date was December 14th, 1953. Writer was Peter Dixon and director was Tommy Carr. Guest cast included Damien O'Flynn as Dr. Ralph Harper, Doris Singleton as Gloria Harper, Nacho Galindo as Berto, James C. as Bill Hurd, Al Kikume as the Native Chief, Leon Lontok as the Witch Doctor, Steve Calvert as a Native, Henry A. Escalante as a native, and Bernard Gazier as a native. 
And now for our synopsis brought to you by supermanhomepage.com. Dr. Ralph Harper and his wife Gloria have been on an expedition in the jungles of Zanaya with a guide, Berto. They're gone. Now's our chance. Ralph, there are no guards on the trail. Now we've got a chance to get away. It's no use, Gloria. They'll follow us and capture us again. Probably kill us this time. They don't have to follow us, Dr. Harper. They have taken our boots. Snakes will get us before we go one mile. So you're just going to sit here and wait for those savages to cook us in a pot? Be patient, dear. We're three weeks overdue on the coast. There'll be a search party out looking for us by now. <laughs> they better find us pretty quick, I think. In about three days, the moon is full and then... Nobody's going to cut my throat. You stay here if you want to, but I'm leaving. forgotten all about us back there by now. Oh, you and your crazy hunt for some plants that probably don't even exist. If only we could recover the diamond and put it back in the eye of their idol. It's lost. It's lost in the quicksands. I dropped it accidentally when those natives surprised me. I wasn't going to steal it. Just, just look at it. It's gone. And with it, we've lost our last chance of making friends of these people. Daily Planet reporter Clark Kent has been ordered by editor Perry White to go to Zanaya to search for Dr. Harper. This is Zanaya, Jim. 10,000 miles of unexplored jungle. Jaguars, snakes, deadly insects, and the Zanayans themselves. We don't want any part of anyone from the outside. But how do you expect to find anybody in a place like that when even Superman would have a hard time doing it? Jim, this is my assignment. And aren't you forgetting another newspaper man named Stanley? went into Africa after Dr. Livingston? Well, the Daily Planet is going to find Dr. Harper and his wife. Nobody ever even heard of him before they disappeared. No, he'll be a very famous man if he gets what he's after. A new drug of terrific medical value. What do you think of it? Couldn't resist trying it on. Where's your butterfly net? Oh, I know. You joined a little theater group. And this is your costume for the first play. No, believe it or not, I bought this on the Daily Planet expense account. I'm going with you on the expedition. What? Now listen to me, Lois. The jungle is no place for a woman. That's what the chief tried to tell me. But I persuaded him this was too big a story for just one reporter. So I got my orders to go and in writing, too. And there's nothing you can do about it. The chief's on his vacation and he didn't tell anybody where he was going. Cheapers, why didn't I think of that? Mr. Kent, couldn't I go along too? I used to be an Eagle Scout. I could be a lot of help if we got lost in the wilds. Why, the kids in Troop 673 used to call me Daniel Boone. I'm sorry, Jimmy. If you're going to make that takeoff deadline, you better start getting packed. We leave the Metropolis Airport at 8 o'clock. Jimmy has stowed away in an airplane that will take Lois and Clark to the jungle, while pilot Bill Hurd goes to the hangar. Meanwhile, the Zanayan natives are dancing and performing rituals to ward off a beast of great strength called the Jungle Devil. Oh, won't they ever stop this of driving me crazy? They'll do that all night to scare away the Jungle Devil. Jungle Devil? Everyone is afraid of Jungle Devil. Big as a man. Big teeth. Arms, they can break a man in two. And when he roars, the ground shakes. Sounds like a gorilla to me. Only I never heard of any gorillas in this region. 
There are many bad things in this country no one has heard of. But they are here. Me, Berto, no. Only two more nights and there'll be a full moon. And when the moon is full, the end is for us. Jimmy comes out of hiding once he smells the breakfast of turkey sandwiches and coffee. Turkey sandwiches and I'm so hungry I could eat spinach. Jimmy! Hey, you know this guy? Yes, I know him and he has no business being here. Honest, Mr. Ken, I just had to come along. This trip was too good to miss. You can explain all that to Perry White when we get back to Metropolis. Right. What are the rations for stowaways, pilot? Stale bread and cold water. Here, have a turkey sandwich. <laughs> Soon afterward, the search for the Harpers begins. Lois and Jimmy look through the plane's windows while Clark goes to the baggage compartment to become Superman. The Man of Steel has found the explorers and the native guard saw him flying. Look, the guards! Shh! I hear something. Sounds like a plane. A plane? Here! 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 Oh! Oh! Was it a plane? Did you see? There was something up there, but it wasn't like any plane I ever saw before. Maybe just a bosser. No, no bird of any kind. But this this thing, whatever it was, seemed to hover over the clearing and then shot away like a rocket. Oh, I don't know. Maybe there wasn't anything. Maybe I'm seeing things that aren't there. Yeah, but maybe those guys see something, too. However... He may not get a chance to save the Harper expedition, as Hearst's engines are acting up, and he has no time to go to the coast for repairs. Jimmy is trying to warn Clark Kent, but there is no response from him in the locked storage area. Superman has returned to the airplane in time to help guide Bill Hurd into a forced landing as Clark Kent. While Hurd is on the clearing repairing the engines, Clark, Lois, and Jimmy are searching the jungles for the Harpers. I bet we're lost. Lost? I thought your name was Daniel Boone. But we are lost. It's true, isn't it? Don't be ridiculous. We're not lost. Can't you hear those drums? Maybe who's ever beaten the drums is lost, too. Oh, very funny. They could be cannibals, an idea that evidently hasn't occurred to Mr. Kent. Cannibals? There are no cannibals here. The natives use the drum the same way we use the telegraph. Unfortunately, the natives have just captured the intrepid trio of reporters, and there may not be any way for Superman to save everyone without revealing he is Clark Kent. Lois, Clark, and Jimmy have met the Harpers in Birdo. Out of the temperature! Dr. Harper, Mrs. Harper, my name is Clark Kent. This is Miss Lane, Mr. Olson. We'd almost given up hope. How did you ever persuade the Zanians to bring you to us? Well, I'm afraid they persuaded us. You see, we're their prisoners. You mean there's just you, the girl, and the young boy? Well, then we're all in the same fix. It is time of judgment, senor. The chief has called on the witch doctor to find a sign. A sign that will tell them what to do with us. They're killed crazy. The best way is to make a break for it. It's better than some of the tricks they may think up. Now wait. Translate for us as quickly as you can. Chief say that because you'll eye of idol gone. One of the strangers must die. Others must leave Leno Sinayan, never come back. You mean they're asking for only one sacrifice? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> 
chief say, strangers must decide which one is to be sacrificed to jungle devil. It's my responsibility. No, I won't let you. It's all my fault that we're in this mess. If I hadn't taken the diamond out of that filthy old idol, we wouldn't be in this trouble. Natives were friendly up till then. It's only fair that I... Just a moment. Life. It's only fair if we all draw. Let's see, there's six of us here. I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll take five white pebbles and one black one. Toss them in a hat, and the one that gets the black pebble goes. I think it ought to be only the men. I don't think Miss Lane or Mrs. Harper should have to draw. Thank you, Mr. Olson, but I want to draw. Me too, Jim. Well, there's not much sense in anybody else drawing anyway. With my luck, I'm a cinch to get the black pebble. While picking up the stone to place in Lois's hat, Clark notices a piece of coal. Hey, is this coal? Yes, I've run onto a little of it around here. Coal, carbon. Put it under a million tons of pressure for a thousand years and you've got a diamond. <laughs> How we could use a diamond. It's hard to believe sometimes that coal and diamonds are made of the same substance. In the meantime, the vote has been decided. Clark has picked the Black Rock. Superman has suddenly replaced Clark Kent after the witch doctor had created a ritual with fire and smoke. The natives fight the Man of Steel until the Jungle Devil frightens them away. The Zanaya chief falls and is unable to escape, but Superman now understands that the Jungle Devil is merely a gorilla that escaped from a circus and took to the wilds. The Man of Steel frightens the animal away, saving the chief's life. They're coming back. That means it's all over for poor Kent. Look! The chief say, Senor Kent is mighty warrior. He defeated Jungle Devil, saved the chief's life. But friend Batoya, I think everything's going to be all right now. They're our friends. But the jungle devil, they say you chased him away. Jungle devil. I'm afraid that jungle devil was just some poor gorilla that escaped from a circus. Took to the woods. <laughs> it wasn't much of a problem. The chief say, since the white warrior sent jungle devil away, the life of the strangers will be spared. But they must leave this country. Well, it's more than I hoped for. Even if my expedition was a failure. The chief say that because white woman took idol's eye, no strangers must remain here. That's all right, dear. We'll find what we're looking for in some other part of the world. Now, wait just a minute. The whole trouble seems to be over this missing diamond. Where'd you lose it? Well, after I took the stone out of the idol and was looking at it, the witch doctor surprised me and I dropped it in that pool over there. The bottom of the pool is quicksand. We tried to find it, but it was useless. Well, I'm pretty lucky at finding things. Let me have a try. The expedition seems to have failed until Clark goes searching for the lost jewel in the quicksand. With his other hand hidden, Clark crushes some coal he had found into a diamond. He then pretends to find the gem and places it on the totem's face. Oh, Chief say, hope you come back soon. Bring all your friends. Then Sinayans will help white medicine men to find the magic plan. Oh, good. Thank you, Chief. Oh, I'm ready. 
Jimmy, you can't swipe things like this. What do you mean, swipe? I traded my scout knife for that. Oh. Adios, you. Hey, hey, hey. Goodbye. Bye. Goodbye. <laughs> I don't know how you did it, but this time you got us out of real trouble without the help of Superman. Superman? Say, I wonder what ever became of him. Now, just some quick trivia notices before I get into the analysis of this episode. Damien O'Flynn later played Judge Tobin and Doc Goodfellow on The Life and Legend of Wyatt Earp. So, this episode starts off with a shot of an idol missing an eye, and you know what? Just from this opening shot, we have a feeling that missing eye is going to be very important to the way this story goes. And we start off with three people being shown barefoot. They are clearly prisoners, and Dr. Harper says they're long overdue, and people will be looking for them. Gloria wants to leave, and she does run off, but, you know, she doesn't get very far. She is kind of the only member of the group initially to have any hope of escape, and but that hope is quickly vanished as soon as she runs into some of the Zanayans who basically send her back. The, the group of prisoners are barefoot as a way to keep them from going anywhere, as Berto points out that even if they manage to get somewhere, their snakes and other jungle creatures will probably bite their feet and kill them. A smart move on the part of the, of the Zanayans who take the prisoners' boots. It will stop them from getting too far in the jungle. And this is where we learn that Gloria dropped a diamond in the quicksand, and that is what caused all of the group's trouble. It almost figures, you know, after the way Lois was treated back in The Man in the Lead Mask, that 1950s writers would blame this entire situation on a woman looking at a diamond. Not the most flattering portrayal of women on the screen, but it's indicative of the way things were written in the 1950s. Next, Clark is giving Jimmy a geography lesson on Zanaya, as he is planning to find Dr. Harper and his wife and bring them home to safety. This is where Clark fills in Jimmy that Dr. Harper went into Zanaya searching for some kind of new medicine, and you can tell from, from looking at the scenes we've seen in the jungle that it looks like a very tropical jungle, and from what I little I know of the tropical jungle is that there are plants down there that could have some municipal properties and some great value to human life. And now here is Lois coming into Clark's office and modeling her jungle outfit in a way that is not meant to show off her figure in the jungle outfit, even though it does serve that purpose, but this is her way of showing Clark that she has convinced Perry to let her go on the assignment. And when Clark sees her in this outfit, he is very condescending, asking her where her butterfly net is and things like that, and then he tells her the jungle is no place for a woman. Well, fortunately for Lois, she'll have none of that and she will go on the, on the mission. You know, she tells Clark that she's going and that's that. You know, and good for her, and this is when Jimmy tries to convince Clark he should go, but I guess Clark figures it's bad enough he got, he's getting stuck with Lois, he doesn't want to get stuck with Jimmy as well. Jimmy sulks and kind of walks out of the office, and nobody actually believes that the last time we're going to see Jimmy in this episode, do you? Well, if you do, you'd be wrong. As next, we get a great Jimmy scene, as he sneaks onto the plane and stows away so he can come on the trip with Lois and Clark. And Lois uh, and Clark will later board the plane in their business suits, completely unaware that Jimmy is stowing away in the luggage compartment. So back in Zanaya, the tribe is dancing and worshipping the idol with the missing eye. At first I thought this was Africa, but the use of the word amigo and other Spanish words are convincing me that this uh, is either Central or South America, which makes sense because 
the tropical jungle is more in South America. Tropical Africa is more known for being a desert landscape. This dance that the Zanayans are doing is supposed to ward off the jungle devil. And at this point, uh, Berto is going to fill in the story of the jungle devil. According to Dr. Harper, the way it's being described, it sounds more like a gorilla. Remember that for later. They're also worried about the phases of the moon at this point because the full moon is going to signal that at least one of them is going to die. Now, back on the plane, uh, the pilot is serving breakfast. Turkey sandwiches and coffee. I don't know of anybody who has turkey sandwiches for breakfast, but I guess some people do. I had, did have a turkey sandwich for lunch today, but not for breakfast. Maybe some turkey sausage for breakfast with some eggs or something, but I don't, I don't know if I'm having cold cuts for, for breakfast. Apparently, Jimmy smells the coffee, because I don't think he's going to smell the turkey sandwiches. And that brings him out of the luggage compartment, and, well, I guess Jimmy's hungry because he can't turn down food. And Clark and Lois are angry about Jimmy being there. I mean, Clark screams at Jimmy that he'll have to explain himself to Perry White. And when they get back, which Jimmy is kind of celebrating, but, you know, you, you know, I don't know what Jimmy is celebrating, because, of course, now he has to come on the mission, because... The plane is certainly not going to turn around and bring him back to Metropolis. So he's kind of stuck with the mission now, whether he wants to be or not. So Clark jokes with the captain, Bill Hurd, about the ration for stowaways. And, well, Jimmy's face just goes down when Hurd says, Stale bread and cold water. I'm not exactly sure what's so bad about cold water as I'm drinking cold water right now as I record this, but I could stand to do without the stale bread. At the very least, it gives everybody a good laugh at Jimmy's expense. I don't think Jimmy found stuff amusing. He's just grateful for the turkey sandwich. So now Clark is in the cockpit with the pilot, Mr. Bill Hurd, and Hurd wants to go to the coast now because apparently one of his engines is shot, but Clark would rather look around for the jungle from the air. And obviously, you look at the jungle, and it's too thick to land the plane in, but with engine trouble and four hours of gas, Clark kind of drags two more hours out of the pilot. Well, there's your jungle down there. In another hour, we'll be landing in Costa Arena. We're well, over the jungle now. Why, why go on to Costa Arena? We're going on to Costa Arena for two very good reasons. One is we've only got four more hours of gas left. The other is that port engine is acting up. I'd like a chance to check it. Besides, take a look out there. How'd you like to set a plane down on that stuff? Yes, I see what you mean. But this is the area where the Harper has disappeared. Can't we scout around for just a few hundred miles? Four hours of gas, and don't forget that port engine. Well, can't we do this, then? You say we're one hour's flying time from coast to Reina. Can't we scout around for just two hours? That'll still give us an hour's grace to get back to the coast. It might mean the difference between life and death for the Harpers. All right, Mr. Kent. Two hours, no more. Thanks. Thanks. Lois, you watch for anything that even looks like an expedition. All right, Eagle Scout. Use your eagle eyes on that window. I'll be watching from the baggage department. I love how Clark is demanding that he gets those additional two hours to search for the Harpers. We haven't seen a lot of stern Clark in Season 2. That was more of a Season 1 characterization of Clark, but I love his earnestness here as he just outright demands the extra search time to find the Harpers. Clark has Lois search one side and Jimmy look out the other window, and Clark locks himself in the back, changes Superman in. I guess he flies out of the plane to search for two hours. Now, the prisoners hear what they believe with the plane, and Gloria gets all excited about this. <laughs> she runs out, waves to it, jumps around, as just about anyone who's kind of trapped would, but she didn't see what was up there, but I love her description of Superman, how it wasn't a bird or anything like that, how it, he kind of hovered and flew away. 
we really don't see a lot of George Reeves Superman hovering. Every time we see George Reeves flying, he's going somewhere. But she's not sure what it is as he hovered and shot away like a rocket. We know she's describing Superman, and it's kind of unclear whether they know about Superman, as we really don't know how long the Harpers and Berto have been away from civilization. So now, not only does this plane have a bad port engine, but apparently now it's going to develop a problem with its starboard engine. So the pilot sends Jimmy to find Clark. And I'm not sure, did this plane get a maintenance check before it left Metropolis? Because things seem to be falling apart on them real quick. Apparently Superman found something out there, but if he found the Harpers, I don't understand why he didn't just rescue them. I know, story. This episode still has about 10 or so minutes to go at this point. So now, there are some nice shots of the woods as they fly down, although these pine trees don't look like any rainforest I've seen pictures of. So the pilot's going to fix the plane while they've crashed into the jungle. Well, they haven't really crashed, but they didn't make a very smooth landing, but Clark happened to have found a clearing while he was out and about flying a Superman. Before going out, Clark and Lois have changed into their jungle outfits, while Jimmy, the stowaway, is still in his work clothes. But he did manage to score a pair of boots from the pilot. Don't know if they're his size, but... You know what? Jimmy is in a position where he can't really complain about what he's given. So Lois and Jimmy think they're lost, but I love how Clark chides Jimmy about his Daniel Boone comment from before. Lois is going to take the time to be hysterical and express concerns that the Zanayas might be cannibals. Jimmy will believe anything, but Clark smartly relays to them that the drum is akin to a telegraph and it helps the Zanayans communicate. It's just a little bit we also saw in Jungle Drums, where the Haitians were using drums to communicate. But they're caught by the Zanayans pretty quickly, and Clark tries some Spanish, calling, referring to themselves as amigos, but the Zanayans either don't understand or don't care, as they just take the gang stuff. Lois is continuing to act a little bit out of character here, basically playing scared. You know, Lois Lane should be braver than that, as it looks like our Daily Planet staff is going to need some rescuing now. So, after all this, our lost people finally meet each other. However, the Daily Planet crew got to keep their boots for some reason, while the Harper Expedition folks are still running around barefoot. I guess these Zanayans are not very worried about the new arrivals. And, you know, Clark is kind of going to function as the voice of reason here. So the Zanayans, are, at least the witch doctor, is shouting something in their own language, and every time uh, one of these guys throws something into a little fire, they act like they're afraid of the explosion. So, that's funny the first couple times you see it, but after a while it starts kind of getting a little old. But pay attention to those little explosions they're creating on the ground. There'll be a bigger one later, and it'll be rather important. These guys are offering our heroes a choice. They get to pick who gets sacrificed to the jungle devil. And both Harpers kind of fall on their swords a little bit, each for their own reasons. And they don't really have bad reasons for offering to be the one sacrificed to the jungle devil. Dr. Harper is willing to do it because it's, because it's his expedition, while Gloria is willing to be the one because... If she hadn't dropped the diamond into the quicksand, none of this mess would be happening right now. So she's taking a lot of the blame for everybody's situation on herself right here. Maybe that's fair, maybe it's not, I don't know. Jimmy show, tries to show his gallantry by getting the women out of the draw, but both Lois and Gloria show their bravery here by insisting they draw a pebble as well. And even in the face of death, Jimmy can muster a joke as he says, there's no reason to, for anyone to draw as with his luck, he'll be the one to draw the black pebble. And of course, Clark doesn't say anything. He just goes to get pebbles as the music gets mournful and Clark finds some coal. And now Dr. Harper will muse about how much time and pressure it would take to turn that into a diamond. Which, as you know from looking at the one-eyed idol, a diamond would solve a lot of their problems. Especially if it's a round one. It looks like the other one next to it. So after Clark gets his pebbles, watch him closely and I hope you'll notice that he put that coal in his pocket. Now, time for the big draw. 
to see who is going to get sacrificed to the jungle devil. Clark draws first, and obviously from the camera work, the zoom in on Clark's glasses and the superimposed over the hat, Clark is using his X-ray vision to make sure that he grabs the Black Pebble. And apparently the Zanians knew what the Black Pebble meant, as they seize Clark immediately. You know, Jimmy will show his loyalty to Clark by trying to fight off the Zanians, but he's urged to stop by everyone else because I'm guessing if he doesn't allow Clark to be sacrificed willingly, they will probably sacrifice the rest of them unwillingly to the Jungle Devil. Jimmy's always trying to do the right thing, and he's willing to give up his life for Clark. It's a very noble attempt, but not to be. So, fortunately for Secret Identities, Clark is taken far enough away that nobody can see him, and he's tied to a stake, looks like for burning purposes. And this might be one of my favorite changes of the series, as you see the explosion, and when the explosion is clear, Clark is gone, and Superman is standing there in a classic hands-on-hip pose. I can watch George Reeves stand with his hands on his hips in a Superman costume just about all day. Doesn't even have to move. Just stand there, George, and pose like Superman. Be a boss. Now, if you watch the explosion closely, this effect is very similar to what we saw at the ending scene of The Face and the Voice, where if you watch the explosion, there was a quick cut in the smoke to differentiate between the Clark shot and the Superman shot. And then after that, designs do what everybody else does when Superman shows up. They attack him. That spear had no chance going into Superman's body, and it bends right immediately. And then, here comes the Jungle Devil, which really looks like it could be a prototype Gorilla Grot or something. But this thing is no match for Superman. It swings the club at him, that breaks. He tries to throw some rocks, nothing. But eventually, he hurts his hand. And Superman defeats the Gorilla in combat by throwing it to the ground. And honestly, who doesn't love watching Superman fight a Gorilla? And he doesn't fight the Gorilla to a terminal battle. After a while, it figured it had enough and decided to move on. So, now there's an Ions come back, carrying Clark almost as though they are worshipping him now. As the Chief says, Clark is a mighty warrior. Saving the Chief and fighting off the Jungle Devil. Which makes everyone happy. You know, I'm kind of surprised to see when I looked at Noel Neal during this scene that she was smiling. You would think the writers and the director would have put in some kind of confusion for Lois about how Clark, who is probably one of the dullest people she's ever met, could actually be a great warrior. But we don't get any of that. Everyone is just happy that they're going to live to see tomorrow. However, they still have to leave Zanaya because of what happened to the idol. The Zanaians will let them leave because Superman scared away the jungle devil, but they messed around with that religious idol and they gotta go. And almost nothing is going to change their mind. Except for the lump of coal in Superman's pocket. As this is when Clark kind of realizes what we've known all episode that this all started over the diamonds. Clark goes over by the quicksand where Gloria told him she dropped it, squeezes the coal, and I love the effect of the smoke coming out of Clark's hand as he creates the diamond. And then Clark feigns pulling it out of the water to indicate to the people that this is the actual diamond. A little bit of deception, but I don't mind that deception if it saves lives. And I, But I do love the smile on Clark's face as he pulls a diamond out of the water and puts it back on the idol. It's a great win, not only for Superman, but for Clark as well. And now that the idol is... Now has two eyes again. Everybody is welcome to come back and visit anytime they want. I am not sure why any of these people would want to go back to Zanaya for any reason. Although they do offer to help Dr. Harper find his medicinal plant. So, some good has come out, out over this anyway. Like I said, this is a great win not only for Superman, but for Clark as well. During the ending conversation, Clark, Jimmy shows up with the medicine man's headdress on, and Clark chastises Jimmy because he can't just take it. 
But Jimmy gets all defensive, saying that he traded a scout knife for it. So after that, it's okay. And, you know, as they're leaving, Lois kind of chides Clark about how he did everything without Superman's help. It's a nice little ending, but I find the whatever became of Superman line a little weird because they are thousands of miles away from Metropolis. There's no real reason to believe that Superman has followed them there. I mean, as far as Lois would know, Superman is probably still in Metropolis. And, you know, that little line from Lois kind of reminds me of Dagger Island, another jungle-based episode. This one will be in color, one of the color seasons, where Jimmy will end the show with a similar line about how they didn't need any help from Superman, even though, unbeknownst to him, they did. So, let me know what you thought of these last two episodes I covered. You can email me at manofscreen at gmail.com. You can find the Facebook group and join the conversation there. Just put in the Man of Screen podcast into your Facebook search box and it should come up. The show is also on Twitter. You can find it there at Man of Screencast. You can also leave reviews for the show on iTunes and Stitcher. That will really help me out with some visibility. More iTunes reviews and ratings, the easier it is for people to find the show. So, next time I'm going to watch grown men throw some pies in My Friend Superman. And then we'll meet the clown who cried. Until then, folks, this is Mike Zumo saying thanks for listening. Have a good one. Don't miss the next thrill-packed episode in the amazing Man of Screen podcast. The Man of Screen podcast is produced by Mike Zumo, and all opinions on the show are those of Mike Zumo and his guests and no one else. All music is in sound clips used in the making of the show or for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All trademarks are copyright their original copyright holders. The Man of Screen podcast is a member of the Superman Podcast Network and can be found at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. The homepage for the show is manofscreen.podomatic.com and you can email the show at manofscreen at gmail.com Thanks for listening.